Welcome to Always On Mission, evangelizing in challenging times. I'm Rosemary Matty. And I'm Tom Lyman. We're coming to you from the Archdiocese of Boston. We hope to bring you some joy and encouragement during this challenging time. And each week we're going to profile a saint as well as spend time interviewing a guest who is doing exactly that. We're back at it again, Tom, the fourth week of Easter. It might feel like the 40th for some of our listeners due to quarantine, but the party continues as we celebrate our risen Lord during this special season. And with that joy in mind, who's our saint for today? Today, we're going to take a look at St. Elizabeth of Hungary, who lived in the 13th century. And how about our guest, Rosemary? Our guest is Karen Wenger, faith community nurse educator with the Archdiocese of Boston. Karen is a beautiful woman of faith and also has great nursing expertise. What a cool combination. And really, she can provide an interesting perspective during this pandemic. I think the listeners are going to enjoy hearing more about this because faith community nursing really is such a unique thing kind of combining the physical needs of the person along with the spiritual. Yeah, faith community nursing is so beautiful. And Karen also highlights just the challenges that nurses are going through in general. And Tom, this really reminds me of a recent conversation I had with one of my best friends, who's a nurse in Boston. So we were on a call with a mutual friend who was giving us a virtual house tour of her new home, which was so fun. And our friend, who's a nurse in Boston, was talking about how challenging it is during this time. So her whole floor has transitioned to only serve those who might have coronavirus. So wow. there's just so much to learn, you know, putting on all the protective gear, the procedures changing from shift to shift. But I've really been impressed and proud of her about how she's stepped up to this challenge, how she's actually added hours just to be helpful even though she has her children at home to care for too. Has she had any crowds cheering for her and supporting her as we've seen on the news sometimes? Well, Tom, you know, I asked her that and she said that she would be mortified if that happened. So she's so relieved that that hasn't happened in her neighborhood when she's been leaving for work. However, what she was disappointed about was that her hospital, unlike some others in Boston, weren't given lifetime tickets to the Red Sox. She gladly would have accepted that as a nice gift for the good work. Yeah, that's a pretty incredible prize. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, as I was thinking about how beautiful her work is, I was thinking about other first responders. What about our priests? Huh? Aren't they really key first responders in this crisis? Absolutely. To be able to come to the aid of the sick and the dying with the sacraments, the anointing of the sick and, and the Eucharist and viaticum. And you, you may know, Rosemary, that we now have this incredible new ministry of priests who are entirely dedicated to, to the service of those who are sick with COVID-19. We have about 20 priests here in the Archdiocese who have uh, signed up for this ministry. They're priests who are generally, you know, under 50, maybe even under 40, who are in, don't have uh, too many secondary risk factors, this sort of thing who are willing to even get, get sick with COVID-19, if, if that happens, uh, to be able to minister to these people who are sick with this terrible disease. And um, they're living isolated in separate rectories without other priests or senior priests around. And from what I understand, they're quite busy. They are having numerous encounters with those who are gravely ill. And um, thanks be to God, able to bring God's love and healing to these people at this important time. Such a beautiful and important ministry. I'm so proud of them and of all our priests. 
So much like these heroes that we've been talking about, our saint for today, Saint Elizabeth of Hungary, really rose up to serve the needs of those in her time. Could you give us a little bit about her background? Sure. So Saint Elizabeth of Hungary was really someone who, from the midst of her own very unique station in life and in the midst of her own vocation, her heart burned with charity for those who were poor, sick, and needy. Uh, and I think these are important things to to bear in mind because, you know, St. Elizabeth lived a kind of life that many of us today could never imagine. There are probably almost no one in today's world who, who has the type of station in life that she did. Any royal would have in medieval times. So she was born in 1207. She was the daughter of the Hungarian king, Andrew II, and born a princess. But she was promised in marriage at the age of four and wow. sent to the, the German principality of Thuringia to be raised alongside her future husband, who uh, was Ludwig, the Longgrave of Thuringia, or Louis, who at the time was 11. So they were both kids, you know, and uh, this was kind of a big deal. It would be of great political significance to the Ludovingian dynasty, which these are details of medieval German history, which we won't get too deeply into. But nonetheless, it kind of solidified the power of this Ludovingian dynasty uh, within the Holy Roman Empire. In, in other words, St. Elizabeth was born right into the middle of a real web of power, you know? So how did St. Elizabeth's, her faith, really bear great fruit in her life? Well, you know, she's one of these people who, from a very young age, had a great gift of faith. And she turned more profoundly to it when she experienced the sad loss of her mother to murder when she was only six years old. Very sad thing. And it happened for political reasons. But she turned to prayer to find peace. And this gift of faith never left her. It wasn't something she only turned to in that time of tragedy, but something that really developed and deepened, even in what was to end as a very short life. She only lived to be 24 years old. So she was married at 14, believe it or not. Her, her husband Ludwig was then 21. And, you know, though to us this might sound crazy, oh, an arranged marriage, these super young people. They loved each other deeply, and they actually had a happy and faith-filled marriage. And they had three children by the time she was 20. And a, a real wonderful thing, and this is something that is so important for marriage even today, Ludwig was also a man of faith who fully supported Elizabeth's own life of prayer and her charitable inclinations. And he shared a prayer life with her. How beautiful. So besides living out that beautiful marriage... During her short life, she also really cared for the sick and poor. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, you know, Elizabeth inclined to, to love others, especially um, those who were the poorest, the sickest. She began, even as a royal, to, to live a rather austere life. And she began practicing penances and devoting herself to works of charity. But she used her royal position to advance her mission for charity. So, you know, going back to what I said at the very beginning there, from the midst of her own unique station, you know, this royal position, in the midst of her vocation as a, a wife and mother, her heart burned with charity. And so what did this then look like in her life? She ordered that one of the family's castles be turned into a hospital, you know, in a time when it was needed. She made twice daily visits to the sick in this hospital and in the poor places that she would visit. She lived in Wartburg Castle in Germany. 
almsgiving, not only in her own city, but also in all the territories that her husband ruled in Thuringia. She spent all of her own revenue from her husband's principalities, you know, the tax money, and even selling her own luxurious possessions and clothing for the benefit of the poor. So now, you know, uh, we're still talking about a teenager here. So St. Elizabeth, the age of 16, this is the year 1223, met some Franciscan friars who arrived in Thuringia, and they deeply impressed her. Now remember, St. Francis of Assisi is still alive. He only died in the year 1226 himself. And having spoken to these friars and heard them preach uh, and witnessed them, she decided to mirror her life on that of Francis. Isn't that an important lesson on how we can all impact and encourage others in their own walk with the Lord? Absolutely. I mean, um, think about the way in which this visit further impacted Elizabeth. She began to wear simple clothing. She set aside time every day to take bread to hundreds of poor people, like 900 poor people in her town. She was known to say, how could I bear a crown of gold when the Lord bears a crown of thorns and bears it for me? You know, I mean, talking about uh, turning, uh, turning the logic of society, of the culture on its head to Christify the culture, you know, to recognize what's the true crown? Is it the crown of gold I've been given as as I'm married to this Ludovingian uh, landgrave? Or is it the crown of thorns? And for Elizabeth, it became the crown of thorns. Is that a real example of how she lived out her charity rooted in evangelization? Absolutely. I mean, you know, e even when situations in her life changed and, and, you know, just as they have changed for us right now in this pandemic, in the year 1226, disease and floods struck Thuringia where they lived. She took it upon herself to care for the victims. She even gave away some of the royal clothing and goods to these poor people. And so, you know, in every different case, she continued to evangelize. She continued to love others and to see Christ in those in need. Here's another point. When her, her husband died when she was only 20 years old, this is the year 1227, Ludwig had been on the way to one of the Crusades. He was in southern Italy and died of sickness. And at that stage, she said, she was known to say that all worldly pleasure was now dead to her. In other words, you know, she had deeply loved Ludwig. Uh, and now that he was gone, she was willing to forsake everything. She arranged for the care of her children. And she actually, on Good Friday of that year, uh, entered uh, the chapel of, of the, fri the local friars and placing her hands upon the altar, she consecrated herself to God and basically made vows before God and, and, and ended up living essentially the life of an ascetic uh, from that point on. Uh, but one that also, you know, was active, lived an active life of serving the poor. So again, a profound conversion at her husband's death and a, a willingness to, to set some things aside to go deeper in her relationship with the Lord. How well she loved in such a short life. Could you talk a little bit, of, Tom, about that cool miracle with the roses and bread? Absolutely. So there were uh, a number of concerns that people, local people felt, or maybe local uh, nobles felt that she was, you know, even stealing from the palace to give away to the poor. She was just so generous with the resources at her disposal. And, you know, some even began to wonder, you know, how, how could Ludwig even approve of this, this behavior? You know, this was so countercultural, you know, that as is living the life of a Christian, it is indeed countercultural now as it was then. 
she uh, was make, making one of her trips delivering bread to the poor, which she kind of did in secret. Ludwig met her, I believe, in public and asked her questions kind of to erase everyone's suspicions that she was stealing treasures from the castle. So he asked her to reveal the contents under her cloak. And as she did, a vision of white and red roses was seen instead of the, lo instead of the loaves of bread, which she would have been hiding under there. And so to Ludwig, this meant that God's protection was evident. Now, there are other virgins, versions of this story. Perhaps uh, some of this is legend. Nonetheless, uh, it is a common depiction of Elizabeth to see her painted with all these roses, you know, in her cloak. And as, as you know, Rosemary, there are lots of other stories of saints and roses, aren't there? You know, the Saint Maria Goretti, there's, you know, Our Lady of Guadalupe and, and a number of Saint others. Therese. Yeah, that's right. Saint Therese. Yeah, so that that's one miracle. Another one is this, is that she, um, one day her mother-in-law discovered that Elizabeth had brought into the palace a leper who was sick. And not only that, she placed the leper in her own bed, you know, her and Ludwig's bed. And the mother-in-law, so enraged, informed Ludwig, who, it, the, the story doesn't say that he was enraged, but he was annoyed with the situation. And as Ludwig removed the bedclothes, instantly, Almighty God opened the eyes of his soul, and instead of a leper, he saw the figure of Christ crucified stretched so upon powerful. the bed. Yeah. You know, it made perhaps in that moment, Ludwig was allowed to see what Elizabeth was already seeing. Well, what a beautiful life she led, and what a wonderful example for us. I think, are you going to lead us in a prayer? Do you mind? Yes. So this is the collect for uh, the Mass of the day, November 17th, the Feast of St. Elizabeth of Hungary. So just pray this with me, if you would. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O God, by whose gift St. Elizabeth of Hungary recognized and revered Christ in the poor, grant through her intercession that we may serve with unfailing charity the needy and those afflicted. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks so much, Tom. Well, much like St. Elizabeth of Hungary, our next guest, rooted in love for Christ, serves those in need and the marginalized. So stay tuned for our conversation with Karen Wenger. Welcome back to Always On Mission, Evangelizing in Challenging Times. Tom and I are thrilled to be joined by Karen, Faith Community Nursing Educator for the Archdiocese of Boston. Welcome to the podcast, Karen. Thank you. Karen, what's it like to be a nurse during this challenging time? Well, um, I actually worked my last staff shift as a nurse on February 25th. So I'm not actively working through this nightmare, but I do have friends who are. And a lot of them are calling me, texting me, sometimes in the middle of the night, that they're really traumatized by this. Um, they're really dealing with some very sick people. They're dealing with circumstances that we've never seen before. Insufficient amounts of protective gear that they had, the hazmat suits that they have to wear to take care of their patients. It, it's really, it's just really been a nightmare for a lot of them. Yeah, I've been really impressed and re by the level of rising to the occasion these nurses have done despite all the great challenges they're facing. 
It's, it is. It's really impressive. Um, you know, nurses working in tents out in parking lots to try to swab people. It's, it's, it's really been impressive. And I have to admit, I, I feel a little torn, you know, relieved that I'm not there, but also guilty because, you know, I've spent 30 years as a nurse and now I'm sitting here at home on a computer. Um, so it, a lot of emotions about that. Well, the Lord has you where he wants you right now. I, I believe that. Could you start us off by sharing a little bit about yourself, where you're from, your family, and your background in nursing? Um, sure. Um, so I'm from Quincy originally. I grew up in the Blessed Sacrament Parish. Uh, I went to Archbishop Williams High School. I've been a nurse since 1990. Um, my career actually started in Quincy Nursing Home when I was in high school. I started working as a nurse's aide. I worked for seven years as an aide and then... Um, became a nurse. After 12 years, I went back to school and got my bachelor's degree in nursing. Three years after that, I got a master's degree in nursing. And now 10 years later, I'm two thirds of the way through with a doctorate in nursing. Could you share with us a little bit about the program you're working on? Uh, so I, uh, with MC Sullivan and Diane McCarthy, um, MC, as you know, is the director for the initiative of palliative care and advanced care planning. And Diane is the parish outreach coordinator for the initiative. We put together a webinar last week on advanced care planning. Of course, advanced care planning is naming someone to make healthcare decisions for when we're seriously ill, completing the documents that we need, the legal documents, the healthcare proxies for if we're seriously ill. So we did that webinar last week. Diane presented it. I wrote continuing nursing education for it. And it is supposed to be available on the RCAB website under the initiative for uh, palliative care and advanced care planning. It should be there. It's supposed to be there indefinitely. And continuing education is available for nurses, chaplains, and social workers for about two weeks. That's awesome. Now, I've really been excited about this conversation, Karen, because you bring a unique perspective when we're talking about this pandemic, because you have the perspective of both a Catholic disciple and that of a nurse. And of course, that's the approach you bring day in, day out to faith community nursing, really looking at the whole self both the physical and the spiritual. For the benefit of our listeners, could you talk a little bit about what faith community nursing looks like in a parish and how that is a form of evangelization? Oh, sure. So faith community nursing really combines the, the faith of the nurse, whatever faith tradition, whether Catholic, Protestant, Jewish, Muslim, whatever, with their nursing practice. So what does it look like in a parish? It, it looks like the nurse takes a look at the parish, does an assessment of what are some of the healthcare needs. What we think of sometimes as healthcare needs tend to not always be strict healthcare needs. There tends to be a lot of social, emotional, spiritual distress that goes along with healthcare needs. We we look at that and we we basically meet those needs. We we do these interventions to help people meet those needs. So specifically, what does that look like? Um, a lot of faith community nurses will start with a blood pressure clinic because everybody knows nurses take blood pressures. It's recognizable. It's, um, it's easy to do. It's easy to measure. It gives data because in the world of nursing, we like data. But it also provides that one-to-one -one time with a person so that they can develop a relationship with the parish nurse, the faith community nurse, and share some of what their healthcare needs are from the body, mind, spirit perspective. And it, it lets that trust build, it lets that relationship build, and it lets the nurse help the individual find the means to meet those needs. And so how would you view that as a form of evangelization? 
Well, when I teach the course, when I teach other nurses to become faith community nurses, I, I learned a long time ago that we don't bring Jesus to others. We let the Jesus in us meet the Jesus in them. And I think that's how we, we do evangelization. We're bringing our, our, our gifts that we, we have as nurses. And, you know, our nursing education really teaches us to be with people and to listen to people and be mindful of what their struggles are. We tend to be constrained sometimes by the healthcare system, and those constraints tend to go away when we're in the faith community. Our, our parishes tend to be safe places for the people who are there. Uh, the people who are going there in this day and age are there because they want to be there, because it's a place where they, they get something. You know, when, when I was a kid, people went because you had to. Now we go because we want to. So we're able as faith community nurses to meet people in that, that safe place and just really minister to them. And, and I think that's where the evangelization takes place. You know, we, we, we live the gospel by, by doing the healing. We need to remember that healing and curing aren't the same thing. You know, we, we cure an illness with, you know, we cure a strep throat with antibiotics. We heal wounds, kind of like the Pope said, heal the wounds. You know, we, we kind of help people do that. How beautiful. And I would find it so comforting in my own parish to come across a fellow disciple who desires for me to heal both physically and spiritually. That's just so beautiful. Thank you. Karen, tell us a little bit about how faith community nursing looks both different and the same during the time of the pandemic. Well, it's obviously different because we're not physically there. I mean, that that's the big thing. We, we, we aren't there for someone to walk up to us and say, oh, hey, I had a question. Um, can I take Tylenol and Motrin together? Which I've had that happen in my parish. You know, someone sees me and the question comes up and they go, oh, hey, I can ask you. You're the parish nurse. By physically not being there, that obviously changes things. How is it the same? We're still doing a lot of outreach to the marginalized. And that's really who we try to focus on is who's in the margins, who, who are the vulnerable populations in our parishes? Across faith community nursing through the diocese, I've been in touch with with the faith community nurses a couple times a week, and some of them are doing the phone calls, you know, which is a lot of the same stuff that a lot of us are just doing, reaching out to the people who can't be there, to those who are isolated, to those who are alone, making the phone calls, sending the cards and the letters to people that we're not seeing every week. There are a group of faith community nurses sending cards and letters to the retired priests at Regina Clary because they're so isolated. There is a nurse in Whitman who started Family Healing Rosary Ministry for those struggling with addiction. And a priest, one of the priests in, in Hanson also, he continued that ministry by doing masses once a month. And then in my own parish, we, we continued that by doing the rosary once a month. Uh, the nurse in Whitman, she has been reaching out by text and reminding people, hey, it's first Saturday. Remember, let's all pray the rosary distantly, but together. And in my parish, a couple of weeks ago, we were able to live stream our family healing rosary um, and put it on Facebook. So there's there's stuff like that happening. We have school nurses in the diocese who are reaching out to their school children, calling the families. Uh, one of the school nurses at Cardinal Spellman put together a webinar for the kids and really keeping in mind that the kids are impacted by this, too. I mean, there's there's the whole they're not in school, but they really are in school and they're being homeschooled by people who are never intended to be homeschoolers. Um, and there's going to be a lot of mental health issues as a fallout from this. Being mindful of that and being on top of that at this point is one way that faith community nursing looks a little bit different. 
Tell us, Karen, have you had any particular, you or anyone you know, particularly profound experiences uh, in ministry during this pandemic? Any particular encounters with the Lord or moments of conversion for people? There's a parishioner in my own parish who I had worked with for probably the past year or so on some healthcare issues that he has had. He approached me with a skin issue. I ended up referring him to his doctor. He, it turned out he had diabetes. We did a lot of work together trying to get him to be compliant with his treatment plan that his doctor set out. He had seen a diabetic nurse educator and really wasn't comfortable, really wasn't listening, wasn't following. We met, we spent a couple a couple Sundays in a row. We spent like a half hour after mass just sitting and going over what he was supposed to do. And he got a lot more compliant. Um, he has a bit of a stressful job. And so as you can imagine through all this, his stress levels kind of through the roof. So just before we had to stop going to church, he had approached me and said, my wife said, I don't look good. She wants you to check my blood pressure. And he was a little bit flushed and his blood pressure was a little up. You know, I watched him for a couple of weeks. And then of course we're out, we can't be in church. I can't be there to check his blood pressure. But his daughter is a senior nursing student at one of the local colleges. So she's been checking his blood pressure at home and texting back to me what his numbers are. And we've been kind of doing some back and forth that way. So the conversion piece, I would say, and I don't know if it's really a, a strong conversion, Tom, because they're a very faith-filled family, but mentoring the daughter as a future nurse, dealing with the dad as a patient, um, really using that whole family, faith community family, um, really, that, that's been kind of profound. It's really, it's, it's had an impact, I think, on all of us. It's wonderful that the, uh, the ministry that you're engaged in together has not at all ceased, you know, but just taken on some different forms. And I'm excited to hear that, uh, you know, you're making these connections with that young future nurse. Yeah, it's really, I've known her since she was a little girl. And uh, it's really, it's really been amazing to watch her grow. And one of the things I've encouraged her to do really is, is she's living nursing history to, to journal that, journal what she's feeling. She's work, working in Boston at one of the big COVID hospitals. She's just, you know, I've just encouraged her to journal it and just live it and you know, record it because it's, it's huge. This is a big piece of history, but nursing history as well. Absolutely. Karen, what about your own lived discipleship? How has this challenging time encouraged you to help you grow ever closer to the Lord? Or what does that look like? My master's degree is in community nursing, which is, is kind of has a public health spin on it. So from the public health perspective, really, I believe that we need to be doing what's right for everyone. The people who are getting sick and dying from this are the older population. You know, the ones who are dying are dying horrible deaths and, and, and it's, really, it's really awful. And if we consider that faith community nursing is pro-life across the lifespan, that we really need to be mindful of you know, who our marginalized populations are. To hear about this, you know, it, it, I'm fine, I'm young, I'm healthy, it doesn't matter to me, uh, has really been making me a little crazy. What I've found is that um, I'm leaning more toward prayer as a way to help me deal with my frustration. I'm really looking at, you know, Christ being that light. And this is pretty dark times. I mean, this, as I mentioned before, the mental health issues, a lot of people are really dealing with a lot of darkness. There's a lot of depression. There's a lot of anxiety. And I found the day that we were able to live stream 
the family healing ministry, just being able to physically be in my parish and be doing this ministry for other people. I walked out of there just feeling so much better. Well, Karen, thank you so much for sharing with us about your beautiful ministry. I want to wrap things up by asking you what we ask all our guests. What does it mean to you to be always on mission? And how might you encourage our listeners to evangelize during challenging times using their own gifts and talents? I, I think, what does it mean to always be on mission? I think it's, you know, as a nurse, once you're a nurse, you're always a nurse. You, you, you can't get out of your nurse brain. You always think like a nurse. So I think that that is kind of a piece of what it means to always be on mission. As Catholics, I don't know. I, I just think that's just who we are. And the combination of the two is just, we're just always, it's just always who we are. It's how we think. It's how our heart beats. It's just who we are. Um, how do we encourage others? Do some introspection. Take a good look at who you are. Recognize that you have gifts and ask God to show you where to go with them. That's awesome. Thank you. Tom, could you close us in a prayer? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, we give you thanks this day for this time to, to look at our lives and notice the gifts that you have given us and to hear about the gifts that you've given Karen and the ways in which you have allowed her to walk on the holy ground where others have encountered God. We ask you to bless her in her ministry and all the faith community nurses in the Archdiocese of Boston, as well as around the country, to keep them safe, strengthen their faith, and help them always to be your lights. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us. Be sure to subscribe, and we look forward to being with you next week on Always on Mission, evangelizing in challenging times. God bless. God bless.